Hi, everyone, and welcome to the next episode of Bari by Pensar Design. Today, I'm thrilled to have Rachel Evans join me and talk about her wonderful journey with customer obsession, innovation, design thinking, and more recently, coaching execs um, to help them innovate more and help their teams innovate more. So Rachel, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, sure. It's so good to be here with you and to speak again. We have such a wonderful history and I have so much respect for everything you do. Um, so I'm Rachel Evans and I have a pretty long history of using design thinking in, uh, in my work, starting with, I guess it was 13, 14 years ago at Intuit, bringing design thinking into the organization with a small group of us who did that um, and really moving into coaching innovation leaders. And I can talk about that story if we get to it, um, but really helping leaders understand how to lead innovation so that the folks who are doing the innovation and design thinking are being supported and propped up to do it well. Uh, and then that flowed into just an interest in helping executives in corporations kind of design think themselves. So I'm an executive coach at this point and I use design thinking to help them, to help people kind of reinvent themselves or really innovate on themselves so that they can be the best possible leader they want to be for their organization awesome. and in the world, really. Yeah. That sounds fascinating. And tell us what your company is called. So it's Rachel Evans Group um, because it, it kept shifting. And I'm like, you know, I just, I want to be able to be fluid and use design thinking in whatever way is I'm most passionate about and also that the world needs, which keeps changing in my, in my brain. So, um, so yeah, Rachel Evans group and I'm at rachelevansgroup.com. If anyone wants to look at what I do with leaders, both on the executive side and also in the life coaching side, I've found, especially with everything that's gone on in the past year and a half with COVID and people working at home, there is not a separation between work and life anymore. And many of my executive coaching clients are really leaning toward life coaching because they need really a vision and they need to invent and, and innovate on their whole life, not just who they are as a leader in their corporation. That's fabulous. And Rachel, uh, trust you to embody design thinking in every which way. We're using design thinking um, to help life uh, coach people in their lives, but you're also being thoughtful about what are the needs and then going after that need through your coaching practice. That's just fabulous. And thank you for the really kind things you said about me. That's just, you know, warms my heart to hear that. Thank you. Um, Rachel, so the viewers can get to know you a little better. Can you tell us um, what your favorite movie quote or book is? Yeah, you know, I was thinking about this and <laughs> I have to say it's not anything like brilliant or existential. Literally, my favorite movie in the world is Best in Show. 
And the reason it, and it's not only just hilarious, um, it's a movie about uh, really a parody on people who take their dogs to dog shows. And um, the, what's brilliant about it though, and people don't often know is this troupe of actors actually is given kind of what the scene is supposed to be about, but they are using improv the whole time to create the scene. And as someone who loves improv and has used it quite a bit in my innovation practice to help people get new ideas and work better together, it just, I think it resonates on that level, but also it's just really, really funny. (laughs) And we all need some laughter these days, don't we? Of course, of course. Um, so tell us a little bit about how you've used improvs. You said, you know, you've used improvs to help people innovate. So perhaps you can tell us a little bit about that. Yes, yes. So way back in the day when we were, like I mentioned, uh, bringing innovation to into it, there were a couple of uh, gentlemen who came on that were, that had taken improv in college and they came on as in learning to be innovation experts in our innovation catalyst program. And they were the ones that suggested, Hey, we could probably use improv here. And what we learned from these gentlemen was that the principles of improv, like always adding on to what someone else is giving, you know, accepting what someone else gives and add on. That's a huge um, that's a, you can use improv to help people brainstorm because that's what exactly what you need to do in a brainstorm is take everybody else's ideas in and add on to them and make them better. Um, and, and there are so many principles of improv. Sometimes it's just listening, right? Listening to others or to customers and learn using improv games to help people learn how to listen differently. There are so many ways I could go on and on, but yeah, the, the principles of improv really dovetail with the principles of design thinking really well. Absolutely. And, um, you know, having also used uh, improvs, it's sort of like you want to talk about empathy. There are a few improvs you can use for that. You want to talk about ideation. You know, there's a quick, fun exercise that's like fun and, you know, a good burst of energy, but also has like a moral to it, right? At the end of the day, as far as design thinking is concerned. So fabulous. Best in show. I should watch that. I haven't watched it. Um, I'll certainly put it on my watch list. Because <laughs> um, you've been coaching execs, as you mentioned, Rachel. Um, how has design thinking as a mindset been incorporated in your life coaching or in your exec coaching for innovation? Sure, sure. So really, once I, um, I mean, coaching has its own set of principles, right? Um, Just to be a really good coach. But very early on in my coaching career, when I had already been steeped in design thinking, I realized they're just, innovating on yourself is the same as innovating on a product. So for instance, you often start with empathy in design thinking, right? Empathy with your customer, empathy with your team. And my coaching clients really need to start with empathy with themselves, with their teams, really understanding um, maybe you do a 360 feedback review with their peers so they get to hear 
really their impact on people around them, both positive and constructive and negative, right? Um, And also empathy with those around them. So if they want to be a better leader for their team, they need to understand what their team needs and what problems their team is having and how their team is feeling about their jobs and when they come to work. So empathy is huge. Then if you move on to vision, In product innovation, it's incredibly important to have a vision, a future vision of where you want to go, not the solution, right? It's not a vision of what solution you're building, but where you, how you want the world to be for your customer at the end of the day. And the same is true as a leader. Who do I want to be as a leader? What do I, you know, and when they paint that picture of themselves for a leader or in life, a life vision, you know, how do I want my life to look? Then that's, that creates that tension that pulls them toward it. If you don't have a vision of where you're going, you're never going to get there, right? Um, so, So it's the same with product as it is with yourself. If you don't have a vision of where you want to go, even if it changes, visions change all the time, but you need something pulling you forward or you'll remain in the same spot. Um, so that's a really, oh, go ahead. No, I was saying Um, that's really interesting. I hadn't quite thought of it as that parallel. Um, you know, some of the things that we've done, Rachel, when we go in and try to help companies really adopt a customer back mindset, be customer obsessed. Um, we realize that a lot of times, you know, leaders are in that state of what we call unconscious biases about the product, about their customer. And we believe that our jobs are to help people understand what they need to about their customers so they can move from that place of unconscious bias to that of conscious understanding. And there's so many confirmation biases that get in the way. Um, So they're only looking through those colored lenses, even if they're trying to do research. Have you found something similar? For sure. So when you said that, it made me think about the unconscious biases that exist around what it means to be a leader, right? Um, So many people believe that a great leader is someone who makes the decisions and tells people what to do. That's their job. And they need to be strong and they need to be confident and showing any vulnerability or weakness means they're a weak leader. There are so many biases that don't work in the end, just like the, you know, the customer bias or the non-customer biases you were talking about. And so helping them to understand that and see how much stronger they are when they're not the one that has to be right in the room. Actually, the wisdom of the wonderful people they've hired is much greater than their own wisdom. You know, there's so many things like that that are very similar to what you were talking about with helping leaders see their own unconscious bias around product. Yeah. And, and, you know, the strange thing is it's an unconscious bias. So the first step is making you conscious of it. Yes. Right. Those are my favorite moments, actually. Um, When someone sees, all of a sudden sees oh my goodness, it's so much better this way. Or, oh my goodness, I can't believe I've been stifling people this way. And you see the light bulb go on and you're like, oh, here's the moment where their behavior shifts. Because once your mindset shifts, the behaviors in smart, good people who want to do the right thing just follow. Um, 
Absolutely. One thing that's actually really interesting about that too, which goes back to some design thinking principles and coaching practice is um, rapid experimentation. So just like in product, when you are trying to change your own behavior or trying to change your mindsets, it can be a risky thing for you, right? And small, rapid, safe experiments can help you see what different behaviors might result in if you try them in a safe way, right? So maybe you are someone who believes they should be telling people what to do all the time. And that's your idea of leadership. You run a small experiment where for three days, you're only allowed to ask people questions, not tell anyone what to do. And I've done this before with, and then they come back and it was safe, right? Nothing's going to happen in three days if they don't tell everyone what to do. And I've had several leaders come back to me and go, whoa, oh my gosh, my people are so much smarter than I thought. You know, they they make so much better decisions than I thought they would. And uh, it's just a really fun way to use experimentation to help people make safe progress toward their goals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it it reminds me of, uh, you know, product parallel, um, Rachel, we were working with a really large global auto manufacturer. And uh, these guys had connected trucks. And these connected trucks were doing well, you know, in other countries, in more developed countries. When it came to India, they felt that the price tag of these connected trucks was far too much for people to afford it because they're the local variants. And the first thing they asked us to do was they said, hey, you know what, we need an MVP. What is that minimum viable product that, you know, customers will be willing to buy because it's priced right So the idea was, what do you have to take away from the connected truck to make that price right? And what ended up happening, Rachel, was that that was the wrong thing to do when we did research and we understood and came up with all those insights. We actually added more technology. The connected truck was priced higher and it did much better because you know what? It solved not just for the truck owner, but that ecosystem that they work with. Um, So, you know, these... And trying that on for size, like you said, the rapid experiments, it was a very safe place to try. Um, And that makes the huge difference. And that when, you know, as a coach or as a consultant, when you see that light bulb moment happen, you're like, my job's, my job here is done. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. You're like, oh, I mean, it, mindset is more important than anything, I think, Um, because once you have the right mindset and the right vision, it's going to happen. It just, it's a matter of, of time and and effort, but yeah, it's, those light bulbs are fun. (laughs) Absolutely. Other than, so we use two mindsets that we keep sort of propagating or communicating when we talk to leaders, Um, you know, certainly that move from unconscious bias to conscious understanding. And we also talk about the first principles thinking to start at, you know, start with at ground zero, start from scratch. Don't make assumptions and then work your way upwards. Are there any similar mindsets you use? Well, we talked a little bit about those unconscious biases and stuff for sure. Um, When it comes to starting from scratch, when it is yourself, it's really hard to start from scratch, right? Because you can't erase yourself. (laughs) You can't erase your own mindsets, things like that. 
But what I would say is getting that, like oftentimes getting that 360 feedback, which means you're getting feedback from everyone else that's around you, both above you, below you, you know, your peer level. Um, when someone who is unbiased is getting that feedback and then sharing it back to a leader, that actually does some level setting, I would say, because all of a sudden they're not seeing what people want to tell them. They're yes. seeing the real, a mirror of what's really happening around them due to their own behaviors, whether it's good or bad. And so I think those moments kind of rock people out of a lot of their mindsets that are holding them back and kind of maybe level sets or, or starts from scratch a little bit because all of a sudden they're very vulnerable, right? And they're like, oh, I mean, it can be really weighty experience, but then they come out of it as as so much better and so much happier with, with knowing the truth and what's really going on. Awesome, awesome. Um, 360, it's a tool that many companies and many leaders use. Do you have your own twist on that? You know, not really. Um, I The only twist I would say is that I always insist on um, doing interviews for my clients rather than a survey because as a research, I started my career in software as a user researcher. And I know that if I can ask direct questions and be there with them and hear the stories myself, I'm going to get a lot more than if someone just filled out a survey. Yeah, yeah. And that whole behavior intention gap, you can easily fill with research. Makes a lot of sense. Right. And the stories are so important, just like in product, right? We need to tell stories to get people to understand what we mean. And so getting stories is, and telling stories is just as important in coaching as it is in, in innovation. That's interesting. I hadn't thought of it as, I didn't think of it, you know, in such a parallel fashion. So it's just wonderful to see that. Um, Rachel, what are, um, can you give us an example of, a cultural transformation that you were able to make happen either for an individual or a company that you're very proud of? Sure. So, I mean, well, there are many, but they all follow from the first. I talked about into it. Um, we got together as a small team. I didn't even know what design thinking meant. I was like, what is this concept that doesn't really mean what it says it is? You know, I had to learn myself. But in this journey of bringing design thinking into the company, um, we stuck our toes a lot and learned a lot. So First, we thought, oh, you know, we just give a process to everyone and they'll follow the process because people are really good at following processes. And that was such a flop. We gave everyone a process to innovate and it just didn't work because innovation isn't like that. It's an art, not a process in the end. Um, and so we took a page out of Procter & Gamble's um, innovation catalyst program, which is kind of an army of design thinkers who actually, and you and I both were very involved in that, who actually go and work with teams to innovate on their real work. So we never take anyone out of their real work. We, we set people into the real work. And that not only taught them kind of 
how design thinking went, but also the art, how to make decisions each day using the principles of design thinking. And that is ultimately, plus quite a few other things we did with the lead. We did a lot of workshopping with leaders and, and helping them understand what they're doing. That really brought us from, you know, a company who didn't really do design thinking to number six on Forbes, you know, innovation cat or innovation companies list. The other thing I would say that I'm really proud of is there was a moment I realized it was maybe three years into the, to the process of becoming an innovation company. Um, I was coaching a, a, finance team, actually an internal team in innovating on their internal products for the company. And I worked with them for about a month or so. um, And they were really proud of their work. They were really understanding their customer who was the employee. Well, they had come up with some, they understood the problem. They come up with some really interesting solutions and they went to their VP and I was there with them and Uh, They presented all of this great work and they were so proud of it to the VP and the VP who was trying to do the right thing. He, he was a really good guy trying to do the right thing said, Oh my gosh, I'm so proud of you all. And can you first just go build what I told you to build a month ago? And I saw this team just like laid flat on the floor. Mm -hmm. It took me another month to bring, bring them back up. And what I realized in that moment is I can't keep teaching teams how to innovate if I don't focus on teaching the leaders how to be innovation leaders and how to support design thinking. Um, And that's when I ended up moving into HR and really focusing on uh, innovation leader program to to shift that level of the organization and i think that also really helped with becoming an innovation culture rather than a company who innovates on some things because everyone that once your leaders are doing it and your ground everyone then is thinking design thinking and once that's happening that's what i would consider an innovation culture amazing amazing You know, one of the other things that um, we've learned over the past six years of Pensar, Rachel, is that, um, you know, when we go in, we feel like there's some companies that want this culture, but they're more in the awareness level, right? They're like, hey, you know, I've heard about design thinking. I know it works. Uh, Maybe there's a leader or two that has applied it and seen the benefits, but the company at large is sort of undecided on that, right? Um, And with these folks, we give, we share a lot of case studies to give them confidence that other people have been able to see success. And the goal is that, you know, that encourages them to start seeing, you know, small success stories for themselves. So they start to believe in that a little more. Um, Then there are people that, you know, are saying, yes, you know, I'm convinced I want to do this. And how do I get started? Um, One of the things we've started to do, Rachel, and be great to sort of get your views on this, is we start with a generic problem and Mm -hmm. more boot camp style. Um, This way, we focus on the learning of the mindset, learning the tools, the techniques, the process. um, And then, having applied that once, we co-create with them. So we embed ourselves into their projects and start working on it. So that's when they truly learn how to apply it. 
Mm -hmm. So there's almost like, you know, three stages. There's just sort of a, I'm curious to know a little more. Maybe I want to invest in it. Then there's, I want to learn. And then there's, I want to apply. And we found that these three stages in the conversations we're having with the company, we're able to sort of identify where that company is and suggest a procedure or, or, or an approach accordingly. Mm -hmm. What do you think? And uh, well, I think it's amazing because, it, and I look at it also from, as a coach, from the emotional standpoint, our emotions are so, even as leaders in corporations, like we're so invested in like, it's hard to be a leader, right? And you're talking about convincing leaders, right? So it's hard to be responsible for these big, huge decisions like hiring Abari Designs, right? Um, and, and investing in innovation in a way that isn't the way we've succeeded up till now. Right. So I think that, um, you know, just getting your feet wet. I mean, it's, again, it's safe little experiments almost, right? Mm -hmm. So you're building the trust in order because embracing a new mindset takes being completely raw and vulnerable and jumping into a new mindset, even if it's a design thinking mindset, right? And so you have to trust that, oh, other people uh, they have benefited from this kind of like as a coach, my business is all referral. And so they already have kind of that trust. They know someone they trust who has gone through this experience. Right. Um, then with the generic, I love the idea of a generic problem because there are, there's no risk or emotion involved in a generic project. Right. It doesn't, you're not going to fail because you try on this generic project, right? And so again, you can show them, and that's what we used to do. And I've done in several companies with the leadership is take more of a generic, even if it's related to what they do problem and workshop it through with them so that they see, they can experience actually how design thinking works because you can't, talk about it. You have to do it to understand it, I believe. Um, so I think that that's great. And then once they're done with that, they're like, okay, teach our teams how to do this. What I have seen is it, there's oftentimes still a mindset with the leaders that, no, 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 my teams need to change the way they do things. And they're not really quite realizing that they need to change just as much as teams. Yeah. So there's a little more of that as well that goes into massaging. Sure, sure. But yeah, I totally love that process that you guys go through. Yeah. We've seen a lot of value come out of it. And, um, you know, while teams are like, no, we're like sold, we want to start applying. We keep saying, well, let's first learn and then let's apply, you know, and that's just adding a few days for you and your teams. And, you know, trust us, we know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Rachel, what are some trends that you are looking for or watching closely? Yeah, so the thing I'm most interested in right now is purpose-driven leadership. Mm -hmm. So, um, and what this means is as a leader, and when I say leader, I mean it very loosely. Anyone in your company can and should be a leader, um, but... Basically, if the company 
first of all, has really articulated and integrated their purpose for being, right? Their mission um, and mean it. A lot of people have mission statements that nobody even knows what it is, right? But, and it's not about making money. It's about what difference are you making in the world? Um, if you, the company has articulated that and then the leaders have aligned their own purpose, they understand their own purpose at some level, and that is aligned to the purpose of the company. Imagine how much more you are going to get out of that leader and how much more inspiring that leader is going to be and how much harder they're gonna fight for the customer and the difference you wanna make in the world. And then if that leader is encouraging the people below him to do the same, align their purpose not only to his or her purpose, but also to the mission of the company. Again, all the way down to the front line, think of how much more inspired people are gonna to be to come to work and how much harder they're gonna work and how their decisions are going to be about making a difference in the world rather than themselves. You know, it just, it's this trend is really inspiring me to think about um, how do I help leaders align and find their purpose so that they can align to their company or, and also their life, right? Do the thing. And quite honestly, about a third of the time, those leaders realize, you know what? This job is not aligned to me and I need to move on and make a different difference in the world. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. You know, coincidentally, um, something that I've been watching and seeing as well is the trend towards creating a more inclusive environment um, you know, whether it's financial services or whether it's creating software that's a little more accessible, regardless of who you might be or what um, disabilities you might have. I think there's a lot more focus on that. And there's, you know, it's, it's lovely that we're living in a more empathetic world. Um, and what I see is when people are not being inclusive, they're not doing it on purpose. They're just unaware that they're you know, uh, leaving somebody behind. And that's just really nice to sort of see how there are more people waking up to it. I remember way back when as designers, when we would say, hey, you know, how do you sort of design an interface so that people who have um, you know, um, impairment can also use the product? And we would be like, oh, you know, screen readers will take care of it, you know? It was okay. Or that's such a small portion of the population exactly. that it's yes. not financially viable or yeah, whatever that was back in the day. So I, I don't think yeah, most companies are thinking about the business viability of creating inclusive products. They just believe that that's the way it should be. And I feel like that trend is amazing and I hope it certainly picks up steam. I love that because it all goes back to empathy, as you said. I mean, the more humans can be empathetic with each other, the less fear there is going to be, the better our solutions are going to be, the happier we're going to be. And like you said, I love the trend of that's just the right thing to do. It's not as much about business as it is about changing the world. <laughs> Completely, completely. That's cool. So, time's just flown by. I've had an absolute oh my gosh. pleasure uh, listening to you and having this conversation. I'm sure our viewers would be just as thrilled to hear your views. Thank you so much for taking the time. Any closing thoughts? 
Oh my gosh. Um, I just thank you for doing this kind of work for spreading. You are the type of person and your company is the type of company very similar to mine where if we can help humans be their best in whatever the avenue is, you know, if we can help them be their highest best, then our world's going to be a better place. And it does start with empathy. And we are, you know, we all continue, hopefully, and more and more people that listen to your podcast continue to propagate, you know, those, that principle of empathy so that we can make a really big difference. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you once again. Really appreciate you.